Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Oratory. If the spirit moves you, would you be kind enough to follow, like, share, and comment on this podcast? As I'm your grateful host, Dan Riley. In my last podcast, I talked about Ben Hogan and a hero's journey, with the promise of recounting another hero's journey in the next podcast. Well, here we are. Before I tell her tale, though, a little more on a hero's journey. I love how evocative those three words are. A hero's journey. But I need to be clear, I'm not using the phrase exactly as it's understood in classic literature or cinema. It's understood in those worlds as a proposed unifying theory of ancient Eastern and Western mythologies. And mind you, it's not universally accepted in those worlds at all. Campbell has a whole host of critics. The concept is Eurocentric. It's simplistic. It's revisionist. It's Pollyannish. Some mythical heroes have been evil. Some have been murderers. Some are just plain loathsome. Of course, I get all that. But in literature, it's been a highly successful template for many of the great fiction writers. Herman Melville's Moby Dick, Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz are all great examples. In cinema, it's widely taught as the preferred method to tell a story. Think of the Star Wars saga, The Lion King, Hunger Games, or Harry Potter. They all use a hero's journey motif. Notwithstanding all the critics of the concept, there's been a whole bunch of successful artists using this model. Just maybe. Just maybe there's some truth to Jung's theory of archetypes, that there are universal primal symbols and images that are derived from the collective unconscious. As I said last week, truth has the privilege of making itself believed. And the truth is this, at some point in our lives, we've all been enthralled by one hero's journey or another. We're wired that way. I do have a few different twists, however, or interpretations of a hero's journey. Let me explain. The genesis of the hero's journey comes from mythology. That's the foundation from which the concept was derived. The main characters in mythology are usually non-human, not real. They are typically gods, demigods, fairies, dragons, or supernatural type figures. In a hero's journey, the hero leaves the ordinary world, the physical one, crosses a threshold, approaches the innermost cave, as it's called, and enters the special world, the world of Merlin, Lord Baldermont, and Hercules. In this world, usually with the aid of a supernatural figure, that the hero undergoes their transformation, then crosses the threshold once again back to the ordinary life, but this time with the elixir as a transformed person. The consensus is that the creatures or characters that our hero meets in the imaginary world are not real. Here I disagree. People often conflate physicality with the totality of reality. If it is not physical, if it is outside the reaches of the five senses, it can't be real. Oh, yes, it can. Who has seen or tasted gravity? I've talked about it before. One of the oldest spiritual practices on this planet is shamanism. They have developed an elaborate practice of exploring the side of reality that lies beyond the five senses. 
Through this practice, they interact with power animals, fairies, leprechauns, gods, and goddesses of all kinds, who impart to the explorer personalized wisdom of the highest strain. Carl Jung developed the practice of active imagination. The practitioner is encouraged to stay in a meditative type state until some creature emerges from their unconscious and interacts with them and to maintain that interaction until the creature's dialogue is completely independent from that of the practitioner. This creature could become so vociferous that Jung had to develop protocols to terminate the interaction. Can you imagine trying to study for a chemistry test while some toucan is in your head giving you an action plan for eliminating self-sabotage? Kobe Bryant the late professional basketball player credited the Black Mamba for much of his extraordinary success. In his classic book, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill talked about his invisible counselors, how he would convene nightly meetings with five or six historical figures out of a rotation of about 25 characters in all. He said Lincoln was always late. Sometimes Emerson and Luther Burbank would talk so much among themselves the meeting was disrupted. He claims many of his great ideas were not his. They were given to him by his invisible counselors. Say what? My point is this. What most people interpret as pure mythology or fiction is not that at all. It is real. Real in this sense, that there are dimensions of the mind we can access that might manifest as otherworldly, but in fact impart to us the most profound of insights regarding our respective physical worlds. To demonstrate how real these otherworldly characters can be, author J.K. Rowling, upon ending the Harry Potter series after 17 years, said, The only time she cried as hard is when her mother died. That's how real those characters were to her. Our internal worlds might not be physical, but they are nonetheless real. Speaking of J.K. Rowling, her Harry Potter series of books are cited as classic examples of how to write a hero's journey. That may well be true, but I believe her life story is a better example of a hero's journey. For those who can't relate to all that inner world stuff, Rowling's personal story might be a more concrete example of a hero's journey. Born in 1965 and raised in England, she and her younger sister had a typical childhood. Her teenage years were typical too, in the sense that they were not without challenges. Her mom suffered from multiple sclerosis and she had a strained relationship with her father, which to date has not been resolved. She was a rock and roll music fan, partial to The Clash and The Smiths. She graduated from college in 1986, earning Bachelor of Arts degrees in French and the Classics. But her real passion during that time was reading the classics, especially Dickens and Tolkien. She began her work life with unfulfilling jobs, first as a bilingual secretary, then as a clerk for the Chamber of Commerce. In 1990, on a four-hour train trip from Manchester to London, the idea of a young boy attending a school for wizards came to her mind, fully formed, as she tells it, here we go with that inner world stuff again. Immediately upon arriving home, she began writing this magical story. 
Around the same time, her mother, with whom she was extremely close, died after her 10-year battle with MS. Her grief and feeling of loss were the inspiration, if I can use that word, to define Harry's grief in her first book. After her mother died, Rowling moved to Portugal to teach English as a foreign language. She taught at night and wrote during the day. It was during this time she met a television journalist and they married in late 1992. Their daughter was born in the summer of 1993. The marriage was short-lived. Suffering from domestic abuse, Rowling took her daughter and moved to Scotland in 1993 to be close to her sister. Although she had three chapters of her first Harry Potter book written, this began a very dark period in her life. As she descended into the underworld, she was diagnosed with clinical depression. She even contemplated suicide. Her finances were in ruin. Rowling was forced to apply for welfare. She claimed she was as poor as one could be in modern-day Britain without being homeless. In 1995, Rowling's resurrection and rebirth began. She began a teaching training course at a local university while continuing to write her novel. And it's true. She wrote Harry Potter in local cafes. At the end of 1995, her manuscript for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was complete, written mostly in longhand, then transcribed with a manual typewriter. Rowling began submitting her work to publishers. Rejected 12 different times, finally, in June of 1997, Bloomsbury published Philosopher's Stone with a run of a thousand copies. Five months later, it won its first award. After a few more months, it won Children's Book of the Year. Following that, a U.S. publisher bought the rights to publish the book for $105,000. $105,000. Rowling fainted when she heard the news. Scholastic Inc. published the newly titled Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. In a hero's journey parlance, J.K. Rowling began a magic flight. She began her return home. Over the next 10 years, Rowling would write a total of seven books, making the Harry Potter book series the most successful series of all time. Along the way, breaking all kinds of records, overall sales records, most books sold in one day, 3 million books sold in 48 hours, then 9 million copies in 24 hours. Then, of course, she began selling the movie rights to her books. The first two sold for over $10 million. So far, there have been seven Harry Potter movies, and there's another one coming out next April. Yes, J.K. Rowling's story is that of a hero. A girl who starts from humble beginnings, loses her mother early in life, estranged from her father, a young bride abused by her husband, the marriage fails, jobless, with a dependent child, depends on welfare, suffers from depression, she almost kills herself, her magnus opus rejected 12 times. But the fog finally lifts. She stays steadfast to the one thing she's done since she was a child, the one thing she loves to do, the thing she was meant to do, write fantasy novels. Now that's integrity. Rowling was the first and so far the only person of either sex to earn over a billion dollars whose occupation is a writer. Now, the Acomeditions will use Rowling's novels as classic examples of how to properly construct a hero's journey. 
But for this neophyte, she is more of a hero than any of her characters. And her journey, it's an inspirational one. For my part, that's all there is, except for this. Could you follow, like, share, and comment on this podcast? This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, go up those boats, sail away from the sea, catch the train, run away.